Hey guys, welcome back to 12 O'Clock Talks with Jack and Dave. Today we're going to be talking about why it's so difficult to be genuine, why we should observe others before interacting, and why 20 seconds of courage may just change your life. We hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, here we go. And Got it. For those who cannot see right now, you probably won't be able to see this for like another good couple of months, but we've got something pretty exciting in the pipeline wouldn't you say dave i agree yeah i think this is fun this is this is a lot of fun and i think the uh whoever's listening will be interested to see it too um okay so this week though you started talking about movies that changed our lives yeah which is a pretty bold statement like a movie changing your life so yeah, do you I'm, have a movie that just well, I think impacted your life in a way that you kind of looked at things differently or you handled life in a different manner because of the movie? I, I guess it doesn't say, have to be limited to movies, but I think movies is a good start. I, I, honestly, I, I don't think so. Um, there's, a, there's a Vice docuseries on um, Libya and Tripoli and the, like, the Libyan um civil war so a lot of that stuff really changed my perspective on kind of the world in general uh because you know you live in america and everything is like super nice here <laughs> like no civil war or anything um no like food rations or you know starvation dehy- like just people dying of famine um but i thought vice did a really good job of covering that when i was in high school so i watched a lot of those in high school and then um there's a there's a series called Hamilton's Pharmacopia. What is that? that? Mm-hmm. This guy named uh, Hamilton Morris, who is a he's a I think he's a chemist or a biologist. He explores um, the, the the chemical makeup of psychedelic drugs or just drugs in general, and he like does a deep dive on like their societal impacts, like how they're introduced to society, um, who does them, why they do them. Um, for example, he does a, he does a really good one on dimethyltryptamine with DMT mm-hmm. and, um, because it's typically like the, the liquid is taken from the back of a frog. The, these frogs are being over farmed, um, and kind of driven into extinction. So he does a really good episode where he synthetically makes DMT and explains like the ecological and, and, um, the ecological impacts of like recreationally doing this drug because people everyone's like oh my god it's amazing like joe rogan made it famous pretty much um but it's like there's a massive there's a massive ecological impact for people just wanting to take this experience and so he like finds a more sustainable way of doing it which is really cool um saving private was a good one is that why people like toads yeah yeah literally like that's that's it it's it's on the mm. back of a toad you just grab the toad and you squirt the like the you squeeze the glands and you capture it and then you s- smoke it and then uh you see well like the seventh dimension mm. <laughs> like there's but yeah no su- is super interesting stuff but like a lot of documentaries i think more so than movies like saving private ryan was really good i think saving private ryan was like probably my first gory movie um but I don't really have a movie that like changed my life, so to speak, or maybe think about things really, really too differently. But it sounds like you do. I do. And you haven't seen the movie. So this will be kind of fun because you could go watch it and then come back and see if you think the same way I do after watching it. But the movie is We Bought a Zoo. Have you ever heard of this movie? Is it the one with Mark Wahlberg? Matt Damon. So I always get those two confused. They honestly look so similar. Well, I feel like that's offensive to both of those people individually, but we'll <laughs> we'll we'll just skate past that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but no, so it's Matt Damon and it's been a minute since I've seen it. And Scarlett Johansson's actually in it too. So that's like decent cast. Um, I was just looking at the 
Wikipedia of it, and it did decent in box office. It said it put up um, 120 million box office. So not bad, but it came out 2011. So you got to kind of preface it with that. But the premise is there's this guy and Matt Damon and his wife dies. And this isn't a spoiler. This is like the whole plot of the movie. His wife dies early on. And so now he's a widower and he's just kind of trying to figure out what to do with his life. And he's pretty sad and yada, yada, yada. So they end up buying a zoo and it is this semi-failing zoo he becomes a new owner of it and he wants to revamp it and make it a new part of the local community and it kind of has like lots of mini stories going on it's it's kind of a rom-com but also kind of it's a rom-com I was gonna say it's a rom-com kind of comedy but it's just a rom-com but so there's like different little love stories going on in it but and then there's also the conflict between Matt Damon and his two kids, because one of them's probably middle school age and whenever he loses his mom and then has a younger sister, I believe. And the younger sister's kind of a little like she understands mom's gone, but it was a little too ignorant to kind of like understand what that actually means. Whereas the older son is just feeling all that sadness. So there's that like clash. And older son ends up getting a crush on a girl and is trying his best to kind of like shoot his shot, I guess you could say. And Matt Damon pulls him aside and tells him the story of whenever he met his wife in the story. And basically he sets the setting of like, oh, I was walking by, I saw her through the window I was like, oh, I, like this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I need to go talk to her. And he employed what he called 20 seconds of insane courage to walk into whatever, like, I think it was a diner or something, walk into the diner and then just say hello. Cause it only takes 20 seconds to do that. And that saying 20 seconds of insane courage has helped me more in life than I care to admit. So like you just take, you take that philosophy of I am super scared to do something. Well, if you just take 20 seconds of insane courage, you can usually like break down the barrier or the door or whatever is like holding you back from doing that. And if it doesn't happen in 20 seconds, then you're good. You gave it, you gave it your 20 seconds and then you can run away and know that you tried. And I think that is life-changing. I really like that. <clears throat> so you do, you, you give 20 seconds to anything is what you're saying. Like if you're scared to do something, you may as well do it for 20 seconds. And like, if the answer yeah. is no, it doesn't matter. Cause you did it. Yeah. And at least you and tried. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's not, it's the, at least you tried, but the word that I think has a lot more weight whenever you really think about it is insane specifically because you're going to do something you normally wouldn't do. And so that is insanity to you personally you know like it it is insane just to go approach someone who is sitting at a diner having a cup of coffee and you are super nervous and you don't know what to do but you can you know shoot your shot for 20 seconds and then get out of there you can you know see a business opportunity and go you know I'm going to pitch something to someone kind of like an elevator pitch I have I'm just going to be completely out of character for 20 seconds and do what I think could be a, could like result in something awesome happening. I just need 20 seconds of insane courage to do it. It's a beautiful movie. I mean, I feel like it kind of goes back to the idea of like, why, like the, uh, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but like, I think a lot of, a lot of people are afraid of the answer. No. And I know I was for the longest time, like the, the notion that like, no, no, someone telling, you no is like the scariest thing that can happen in your life sometimes. But once, if you get past that, I guess one strategy to do that is with 20 seconds of insane courage. 
but once you get past the idea that like a no is just a no <laughs> and then you can keep moving on with your life and learn from it and you at least you tried then life becomes a whole lot of or I guess from my experience I can't speak for everyone but like the minute you the minute you're not afraid of no or like being embarrassed is the minute it kind of gets a little bit easier like mm-hmm. you, you find yourself it's it's almost more rewarding in a sense because you're not scared like you're not scared to do anything you're not scared to ask somebody a tough question you're not scared to ask someone for like i don't know in the workplace like a raise you're not scared to you know ask i guess somebody some pretty girl you're walking past at the diner if they want to go out on a date you know it's not uh you're not really tied down to anything because you you realize that like the only thing holding you back was like oh shit like shoot what if they say no Mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah so. and i think the race is a good example because let's say you go and you like knock on your boss's door and you go hey i need to talk to you real quick about something that talk about a race probably won't last more than 20 seconds probably not <laughs> you know it, it it is literally just a simple conversation of hey i i think i deserve more compensation because i'm taking on more duties or i am exceeding expectations i'm bringing something to this company that qualifies me for you know a two thousand dollar raise and the boss is either going to go all right or no that's it like you know it only takes 20 seconds and i think that's that's the other thing is like it it's just 20 seconds of your life yeah that you don't get back uh-huh. and, and regardless either spend a night thinking about oh what if i would have or just have 20 seconds of insane courage and do it and do, yeah and have that experience mm-hmm. have you found that the more people tell you no the more you're like not afraid to ask for things what do you mean so the more you i don't know i've the more I've become comfortable with asking people uncomfortable things because I've been in that situation before because someone's told me I'm not going to answer that or no, or, well, I don't know how to answer that. But do you think putting yourself in uncomfortable situations makes you more comfortable with them? I think uncomfortable situations. Yeah. I don't necessarily think hearing no all the time would have a positive effect on me personally yeah the, that's why i rephrased it <laughs> yeah yeah no being told no all the time is probably pretty detrimental to your psyche yeah but i do think to your point of insert not necessarily inserting yourself but putting yourself into situations where you're not it's not your comfort zone makes you better at being uncomfortable because I think I I do think being uncomfortable is a skill that can be learned you know you'll never be comfortable all the time but you may be better at being uncomfortable than you were the day before I was um or more com like more comfortable with sounds kind of stupid but me like but do you get better at being more comfortable being uncomfortable I think you get better at being uncomfortable. Okay. I don't think, I think to say that you would, because I, to your point, the way you're saying it makes me think that eventually you just would never be uncomfortable. Ooh, yeah. Okay. That's and fair. I don't think that's healthy and I don't mm. think that's a realistic goal. However, if you look at your situation and you go, this is not something I'm comfortable with and you develop just a generic strategy to go with that that is being better at being uncomfortable you walk into a room you don't know anybody it's going to be uncomfortable but you're better at it because you've done it a hundred times or you're being you're in a weird power dynamic where your boss is accosting you for something and you're better at like handling that emotion in the moment and you can approach it in a more sophisticated or more mature way because you've you've developed the skills to be uncomfortable um 
you know, you're, you're put into a new line of work and you need to like figure out how to quickly learn how to manage that. Like those are skills you can develop, but you will always be uncomfortable doing those things. When do you think it becomes unhealthy to be uncomfortable? Like, do you think that, I think some people, I mean, myself included, I say some people, myself will sometimes compensate for being uncomfortable, knowing that I'm going into a situation in which I feel uncomfortable and either I overcompensate or, well, yeah, I overcompensate through, through external things, probably like either, you know, drink or whatever it may be, you know, you're in an, you're, you know, you're going to be in an uncomfortable situation and therefore you try to compensate by, you know, either over indulging in something or over explaining yourself or trying to assert yourself into a conversation. At what, is this what you're taught? Is, does that, is that what you mean when you say you become better at being uncomfortable because you don't feel the urge to do those certain things? Yeah. I mean, because, because if you feel, and then take the, um, like the, the over, the over talking type of a thing. If you're a nervous rambler, it's, it's going to be a skill that you have to learn to not do that. Right. And so it's one of those things where once you figure that out and you are like comfortable being in an uncomfortable silence or an awkward silence, or you are better at gauging that, Oh, Hey, just because no one's talking doesn't mean I need to, even though I am so uncomfortable with this silence does not mean I need to say anything. I think that is the skill set you're you're learning, not necessarily that you're comfortable with the silence. Now you just are better at not filling silence with noise instead of thoughtful conversation. That's fair. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that having friends who put you in uncomfortable situations is a positive thing like being around people who are willing to put you in situations where you're you're they know that you're going to be uncomfortable but it's a safe space to be uncomfortable as opposed to like in a random place where you automatically feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. like i'm not saying can you imagine your friend leaves you down a dark alley and's like this is to make you better as a person man no it's like no it's not the kind of place i'm talking about like a social function where mm-hmm. like for example the uh, a lot of law school events you took me to Right. My first ones, I felt, dude, I felt, I was like, okay, where'd Dave go? <laughs> like, I felt like a puppy, like trying to follow you around just because I didn't know a single person. Right. But I think by the end of it, in between knowing a good amount of people and not knowing enough people, there was a period in which I felt super comfortable just by myself talking, like just talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that had to do with like you putting me in that situation going, all right, well, he's good. I'm going to go mm-hmm. do my own thing. Jack's fine. You know? Yeah. And I think that that, like that in and of itself taught me a lot about how to like it, almost integrate and, you know, put yourself in like a, like a, make a funny comment or just participate in whatever's going on. And then when the time comes, that's when you interject yourself and you go, oh yeah. Hey, my name's Jack. Nice to meet you. But it's mm-hmm. not like uh, you go to a new place, you immediately go up to someone and be like, hi, my name's Jack. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Where do you work? Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so it's it not so robotic. Right. Like it did. It never felt robotic towards the end. Whereas at the beginning, it was like, oh, shoot, what do I say? Mm-hmm. It was like, it was the opposite of robotic. It was like robot shutting down. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to stand in the corner and wait for somebody to talk to me. <laughs> like, yeah. fing- fingers crossed, nobody does. But yeah. like, then towards like between um, knowing enough people to feel comfortable and only knowing you, but like that awkward in-between period towards the beginning of it, it was a, it was a difficult thing to do because you want to just be a recluse and wait for like somebody, you know, to come back to you mm-hmm. and initiate a conversation, which is something that's really easy for somebody else to do however like if you're in that situation you can't like like from my experience you can't depend on somebody to do that 
because you're, you're in an environment in which they already feel comfortable. So they're not thinking, they're not thinking about, you know, oh shoot, like, you know, what, what's this person thinking? What are they doing? Like, who's interacting with them? How can I get them involved? It's like, no, like do it yourself, (laughs) like figure, figure it out. And I think if you, if you would have like held my hand through the entire thing, just stood in a corner with me the entire time. Like, I don't think the, uh, the social skills, or as you say, like being, I would, I wouldn't have felt so comfortable with being uncomfortable in situations. So I think it's really mm-hmm. important to like put people, I guess, within, I guess we talked about this a couple uh, pods, like podcasts ago, but having the right support system. If, if you have somebody in your support system or, or within your community, like put them in a situation in which they feel uncomfortable, but that it's safe for them to fail at being uncomfortable and like be right there for them when they do, because they're going to fail. <laughs> they're going to come up to yeah. you and be like, Hey man, like, can we go? <laughs> or mm-hmm. like, Hey, do you know anyone or what, Hey, what are we doing? Like, what's the, what, what can we get out of here kind of thing? But um, I think it's super important. Dude, to. I may even one up you on that. Yeah. And so well i think it's good to do that like have a friend kind of bring you and introduce you to new social circles kind of like that's good but to even take away your bar alone kind of no no, absolutely not no um (laughs) do a like young professionals meetup or a networking event and go by yourself and know nobody Oh, we did um, talk about this, yeah. Because I I've been to a bunch of like a few networking things, and it is I think twofold. One, you if you go by yourself, you don't have the safety net. And I think taking away the safety net forces you to make the decision to get involved. You know, you're not, you, you can't rely on anyone else. So it's either you go out and you hand out a business card or shake a hand or whatever it is, or you don't. Second, if you go to an event like that, you get to, and I think this is a smart thing to do regardless, you get to kind of people watch for a bit and see which people seem to be succeeding in their conversations and which people are just bombing and you can learn from both like i have seen people just become super brown nosy for a lack of like a better term towards like big shots at networking events and it just backfire and you just watch them burn like crash and burn and then you can watch other people who just are very casual or, you know, play to their strengths. And they're like, hey, have you ever seen the Marvel movies? And they've kind of done their research and they realize that the person that they intend to talk to is a Marvel fan. And they just talk about Marvel for 45 minutes. You know, like, and you can just watch how some people really excel in these environments and how some people really don't. And I think that's also a great way to just get better at those like uncomfortable skills, meeting, like getting out of your comfort zone. You don't know anybody. You're trying to impress or at least not embarrass yourself at the very least. And those are awesome. So from your experience, because I've never been to one of these events, um, what what people do you see striking out and what people do you see being successful? Is it? Yeah. That's the question. Okay. So I was actually talking about this with the, with a buddy and this is going to backtrack a little bit, but just, just bear with me on it. So he had a job interview and he was actually interviewing with people younger than him. And he was saying that, like at his previous workplace, he had been kind of made fun of because like he's at the older end of this generation, but is a part of the generation that isn't good at small talk and just, you know, normal human to human interaction due to like technology becoming a bigger thing and all this other stuff. 
And he noticed that when he was getting interviewed by people who probably at the core of the meat of the generation, that they didn't make small talk with him in the interview. The only people he could talk to and relate with were the older individuals who were interviewing him. So say there's like eight people interviewing him. Six were younger, two were older. He could only talk to the two because this other six didn't have just normal social skills. So that's kind of where my brain's going, right? Like you needed to be able to develop these skill sets to just have a conversation. So you fast forward to these networking events and say you want to talk to person A. Well, a lot of people are going to want to talk to person A if person A is, you know, someone worth talking to. So They'll probably have a couple of people talking to them. They'll have people who have come in and out of conversations with them, whatever. You, you have to be able to go into that conversation as a human instead of as someone who is just looking for a benefit. And that's probably the thing that I've seen. Like if you open the door with, hey, I would like to do blank for you or like, I would like to get hired for you or can I, can you do this for me? Instead of just being like, hey, my name is blank. I kind of like that shirt and like, what, what's it made out of? You know, just basic so, conversation skills. Like a complete lack of quid pro, pro quo. That's a hard phrase. Yeah, just not reading the environment because yeah. you're at a, you're not in the in a networking event. You are not in a job interview. Right, you're just there. You you were there to get to know people, and I see a lot of, at least for like because this is all I really know, like these younger law students who just go up to recruiters and just shove their card in their face and be like, "This is my GPA," and they're like okay like what like everybody here is smart man like whatever the most the cringiest one is we were we were at a an event and these people the these people from a big firm showed up and they were there to kind of just like advertise their firm and get to meet law students and they got swarmed by like law students to the point where they made a like verbal announcement, like, can we all just order one drink before we talk to any of you guys? Oh shit. <laughs> like they wouldn't let they wouldn't let them to the bar. Like to My order. God. And I'm like, man, y'all just y'all don't get it. And then I just was like, I watched all these people and I just was like, and these three individuals these three individuals are all from the same firm. They all have similar influence. They all ordered three different drinks. And I think you could tell by like the type of drinks they had, what kind of conversations they were looking for. And everybody who went up initially struck out hard because they just didn't take the time to just observe, take a second, see the kind of vibe these people were doing. How, like, do they want to just come up and shake your hand or would they rather you just sit, like, stand next to them and introduce yourself? You know, that's a big deal. Are they handshakers or are they not? Are they whatever? And you get to see all that and then you can capitalize on other people's mistakes at networking events like that. You almost don't want to be first to the punch. No, I, I don't think so. I like to show up 15 minutes to 20 minutes after it starts. At a minimum. So, okay, you kind of opened Pandora's box there. What can you tell? You said three different people ordered three different drinks. What did they order? And why could you tell what kind of person they were based on what they ordered? Okay. So, one ordered... A Dos Equis dressed. Classic. Wait, for if you're listening to this and you don't know what dressed beer is, it is uh, salt and lime. Like you take the bottle, you dip it in salt, and you put a lime on it. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And, I, I learned and that people don't set, know what that is. Oh, I was, oh, I, did, did I tell you about that? 
No, no, no. like I was at a, I was at a conference and they were like, what, what does that mean? Beer dressed? Oh. You know, like, what do you, what, huh? Like you're from college. Hey, th- this person was from college mm. station. Like, I didn't think that I thought that they would have known. <laughs> like that's how Dude. everyone, everyone in Texas orders their beers dressed. I was everyone. at a Mexican restaurant and they didn't know how to dress a dose. What? Dude, I was, I, I literally, they, they brought me limes in a cup and a salt shaker. Well, okay, wait, you could have just done it yourself. The beer was $6. <laughs> Do it yourself. <laughs> no, so I, I just, but I, I asked for it dressed and I watched the, the waitress who's working the patio go to the bartender and ask. And then they kind of Googled it. I saw them pull it up on their phone and then give me a salt shaker and a cup of lime, like cups of lime. And I just was like, this is not, this is not real. It is. It was. And it still oh, is. That's so funny. That happened to you at a conference too. I was, I was shocked because this person, um, I mean, in college station, it's like a, I don't know, like college station is your typical, like stereotypical Texas college town. Like it's in the name college station like everyone yeah. everyone going up to the bar is going to get like a like you, the majority of people who order beer is going to be like a Michelob dressed or a Dos Equis dressed mm-hmm. like it's just it's just a fact I don't I don't know I was I was flabbergasted there's your yeah. SAT word of the day flabbergasted I think it's got two b's in it flabbergasted f-l-a-b-b-e-r-g-a-s-t-e-d Wow. Did you like, did you, did you pass your SAT? Dude, actually I didn't do good on the SAT. I did better <laughs> on the ACT because it was more multiple choice and I got lucky. <laughs> That's fair. Jeez Louise. Um, and the SAT was longer and I got bored. That's what I've heard a lot. I took both. I took the SAT three times and the ACT once. <laughs> actually, Wait. I didn't know that you could study for the SAT until after I got into college. <laughs> I bet so, you did. I bet you did. I bet you did really well on it, though. Like, I, I bet you I did, did. I bet you did really well. I, I did pretty decent, but the school I went That's to, impressive. they gave everybody a free SAT because they wanted everyone to go to college, right? right. So, like, it was just covered by the high school. So, okay. I thought it was just kind of a standardized test that you had to take. And you don't study for any of the other ones, you know, like the the tax tests or anything like that. So, right. I just showed up one day to school and they're like, today's SAT day. Yeah, so I took it. God. Okay. And that was it. Dude, I, I prepped. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was a I took, thing I took until... practice tests. I did like, I, I had my snack ready. I, like I took peanuts and chocolate because, you know, like fats, your brain runs on fats. So I took a bunch of fats and sugar, like natural sugars. I was like, all right, like dark chocolate, peanuts. Like I'm going to ace this thing. Like I was fully prepared. <laughs> yeah zero idea and then i remember i had a meltdown because you had to write the the statement that you wouldn't cheat on it yeah in cursive i didn't i i i'm currently teaching myself how to write cursive i didn't know how to write in cursive you don't write in cursive uh-uh. i still get my b's and my f's mixed up it's okay i don't i don't even really know how to sign my name i just do D R and then notice that <laughs> when you write your name, I'm like, is he signing or is he just like spelling it out? Yeah, it's bad because I don't know my the year that they taught us cursive, she just kind of didn't make us do it. So I never learned. So when we were when we were younger, when we'd fly back to England to go visit my family, um, my mom bought these books, like these English tutoring books. And I kid you not, apologies. Um, I kid you not, I would, my mom would make my sister and I practice cursive in these books on the plane (laughs) going back to England. So my English lessons, a lot of the time were on a plane going back to England. So that's the only, one of the only reasons I know how to write cursive is because we had like study books that we had to do that she made us do on the plane. That's awesome. No, my, my mom took me to, a a bookstore and bought me a cursive handwriting lesson book that teachers would use to teach their students and so I'm currently working through it 
I'm still learning the entire alphabet. It has taken a hard stop due to bar prep, but yeah. Um, but okay, so back to the drink thing. Yeah, sorry. Also, I had just turned off the air conditioning unit in the hotel room because I heard how loud that was. <laughs> I heard it come through the speakers. I was like, oh gosh, no. Oh, I couldn't so. hear it, but I am kind of deaf. Um, so um, I remember it was one guy, Dosaki Stress. Okay. And the importance of that is we are in a cocktail bar. Like it's a fancier bar. Right. Um, they are known for like signature drinks, classic cocktails, but with a twist, whatever. They honestly had the worst old fashioned I've ever had in my life. I complained about it and they said, this is how we make it. And I'm like, why is my old fashioned pink? It was a deal. It's side story. But um, another guy ordered a, it was like a fancy whiskey. I remember his order. It was a fancy whiskey with two ice cubes. And then the third guy who I did not talk to ordered a specialty cocktail. And so I sat and kind of looked at it. And here's my thinking with the fancy cocktail guy and why I didn't talk to them. Okay. Well, you got to break down each of them. Just so you okay, know. so I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go through it. Okay. So fancy cocktail guy, I didn't talk to them because I feel like he was. I'm gonna have a one drink and leave. And I could spend my time there and it not be very productive because he he also kind of just gave the vibe of I wanted to have a nice drink. And then I'm going back home. Like I'm going to bed. Right. So in my brain, and I was honestly pretty right. I think he finished a drink and then had a glass of water and continued talking to people and then left, but right. I wasn't that far off. Okay. Um, so my thing was like, that dude is not going to be here long enough to have a decent conversation. He's out. Okay. The next one was a whiskey guy. The whiskey thing I went at the time I wasn't really into bourbons and whiskeys yet. I like I couldn't have a conversation about it, but I could tell his order was so specific that he was one of those dudes that if you spoke whiskey, you could talk to them. Right. And then the last one, she ordered the dose dressed with lime. And the dose to my my brain, especially since it's dressed in the way like her kind of cur- like her energy meant she was going to have more than one. Also, I knew if I matched it and got, I don't like the salt on the rim personally, so I just got a dose with lime. But if I got a dose with lime, you could walk in and just immediately go, oh, nice beer choice. And then you're in, like, there's your opener. Like, oh, hey, looks like you have good taste in beer. Even though my, like, I do enjoy a dose but it's really not my go-to beer order. Right. And so that was kind of my thinking. I don't know. I know he ordered a top shelf whiskey. I don't know what it was. And I can't, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to kind of talk my way through that. I do know what she ordered. And I can see that like everyone around her wasn't drinking beer. So if I walk up with a beer, make a side comment, maybe that'll be my end to the conversation. I can introduce myself and then we can kind of like play the game from there and that's exactly how it went and you ended up having a good conversation yeah but you picked your target yeah and <laughs> so you take speak. that yeah you, you take target, but you, so you take the second and you just go who which conversation circle do i think i could insert myself into the most effortlessly and you do that one and that's not to say it'll work. Like I have stories where I thought I was going to talk to person A and then it just went so terribly that, you know, the next person you talk to, you're like surprised by how well it goes. Right. Which that like that story ended me a job offer in a small town up in North Texas because I just 
I went to another networking event. I thought I was, I went there with the intention of talking to a specific guy. That dude ended up kind of being a jerk. Sat back on the other side and was like, well, they have a, like we have the event, might as well still like enjoy an appetizer and like enjoy the, the good Texas air. And then I'll get out of here. And then while I was doing that, struck up a conversation with another person. We clicked, swapped emails, and then they brought me down for an interview. Mm. It's crazy how it happens. It's almost like the more you try to force things, the less they'll happen. Yeah. But Why do you think that is? A lack of being genuine, probably. You think so? You don't think you can be forceful and genuine? I think it's harder. Why? Because if you're going with an expectation, you're going to try to make that happen. But if you're just going to have a genuine conversation, there's no expectation attached to it. You think it's easier or harder to be genuine? Than what? Just in general, in general conversations. Like it's a, for example, your, your networking events, right? Like if you, if you know you're going somewhere in which you could probably get a good job or, you know, say you're saying you're going to an event and you're like, oh, this, I know this person is going to show up and like, I want to take them on a date or, you know, I want to, I want to be friends with this person or whatever it is. Do you think the, the intention makes being genuine harder? And then I think it, do you think, do you I think it think adds that? a stress level and that makes it more difficult. So, but what does it mean to be genuine, though? Oh, that's a tough question. Because, because in my eyes, like it's if you're not self confident, it's very hard to be genuine. It's very hard to be yourself if you're not confident in yourself. Which is something that I always struggle with in social situations, and I still struggle with it today, but a little bit better now. But it's it was very difficult for me to watch other people succeed in social in social conversations and you know just in general social life because I knew that in private I was fine if I knew somebody I could be myself and I think that people liked me as myself however when I got out into a like a public situation where somebody didn't know who I was I found it very difficult to be myself and so I guess my question is like, you know, is it, it's, it's easy to be genuine to a certain extent, but the minute you feel uncomfortable, I think we default to wanting to adapt to everyone around us. Like we mimic, we mirror, we, you know, we, we adapt to certain characteristics. We try to do things that other people are doing, unless you're wholly and fully confident in yourself. You can't be genuine in social situations, in new social new social situations. Wow, that's a difficult one. I I think I think we're mixing two different ideas. You think so? Yeah. So I don't think there's anything wrong with you are in a new social situation to kind of feel out the environment and not do anything disruptive, even though that may not be your quote unquote genuine self. You know, you may not be used to what's going on around you, even though that doesn't feel authentic or genuine, it may be the courteous thing to do because it's not your social circle. Right. And I think we're mixing that with just pure authenticity and pure genuineness because I think that runs afoul of not taking into consideration other people if you get what I'm saying so like like I don't for for context right say you go to a different country it's a different culture and you are eating dinner with a host family you know somebody's brought you in to eat with them You know, it may not be your custom to sit on the floor and eat without utensils, but you're going to do it. Or it may not be 
your style to kind of enjoy in a fast conversation style where everyone's kind of talking over each other, but you are just trying to, you know, like fit into that environment. I think that's okay to do something out of your comfort zone and not be what you would think is your true nature. Right now, I think if you're changing your personality to completely mimic someone else's, like if you are doing a full mirror on effect, like in the networking event situation, like they're looking for someone who is, you know, naturally has a tendency to to be quiet and they want someone who has a nose in the book, doesn't speak out, all this other type of things. And that's not you. And you fit that just to get a job because you think it'll work. I think that's, that's not a good thing. Okay. Do, so, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think you're saying you can adapt without losing who you are as a person. Right. Right. And so that kind of goes to, like the second scenario, like offhandedly, I mentioned that I didn't like, I didn't kind of like this guy that I initially wanted to initially wanted to talk to. Right. Right. I could have fit what he wanted as an employee. You could have everyone like you can always fit a mold. Right. It's not hard, but I realized that that's not me. And it's not rude for me to go, look, we probably just, we have different personalities. We have different like ideologies. We're going to clash. Just because like you're probably a good dude, I consider myself a decent dude, like doesn't mean we're gonna get along. Goes to the old saying, like you could be the sweetest honey, but someone just doesn't like honey. Is that a Texas saying? I don't know if it's Texas, but I feel like I've heard it. I've never forever. heard that before. <laughs> yeah, I get, so like, I get what you're saying though, but like at the same time, you can adapt to a situation, but so in your situation, it was easy for you to go, Hey, like you realized quickly that you did not want to be like, get along with this person. Right. You didn't like this person. So you backed out of that situation. Right. Like that's what it sounds like happened. Yeah. Okay. So, but I think for some people that's, it's not that easy. They, they encounter a situation in which they envision themselves being successful. And because they're, I say they, I, I've experienced this where it goes, okay, I can be successful in this situation if I just change a little bit. Like if I just change a little bit, if I just agree with this or if I agree with that, then I'm going to get along with this person. And because I'm getting along with this person, it means I can be successful. So I guess I, that brings it back to my question. Like it, it, is it, I think it's harder to be genuine when you're not confident in yourself. Maybe. Would you would you agree or disagree? I think it's just I I don't know. I think it's just kind of dependent on everybody. Like you have to set you have to set those boundaries for yourself. Like right. what what are my non-negotiables? And if you don't have your non-negotiables, I think everyone needs to spend you know, spend an hour think about what what is something I would what is something I don't, I won't give up or I won't do. I won't either like give up this part of myself or I won't succumb to something because I won't. What and are if you? you find people who are on the other side of those things, you just kind of go, okay, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. Don't hold it against me, but this probably won't work out. What are your non-negotiables and how did you determine them? Um, my non-negotiables are I don't want to be told. So like, like, are we talking professionally, personally? I feel like they're one and the same, right? Like you can't, you can't have true like work-life balance. I think it's a bit of a fallacy. Like your, That's your fair. life, your life is your work. So That's fair. I think that, you, I mean, you have to work to live. <laughs> like, yeah. Like whether we like it or not. So you, what you're what your life non-negotiables and your work non-negotiables are, if they're aligned, I think you have a better, you know, just balance and not work-life balance, but just a, a better balance in general, just in life, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're not going against what you believe as a human, 
and you're not sacrificing anything to do the thing you need to do to live. Mm -hmm. So, so my non-negotiables, one of them is I don't want to be told that I can't represent people just because of who they are. So this kind of stemmed with, um, and it was, it, was, it was pretty nice because it was an easy way to vet future employers, but I have my pronouns on my email signature block. And I met people who were uncomfortable with that. And, you know, some people were genuinely curious, why, why do you have to specify that you are a he, him versus whatever? And my answer is, you know, I just want anybody who emails me or talks to me or wants to get help from me or whatever it is, I want them to feel comfortable. And I don't think that this is negative towards any future employers, or it doesn't look badly on anybody. It just makes it a more accepting environment. And if people weren't comfortable with that, that was a non-negotiable for me. You know, if, if you are uncomfortable with representing trans people, or you won't represent trans people, or you don't think that the country's moving in the right way or whatever it was, I'm not working for you. Um, That's fair. So that was one of them was I didn't want to be told who I could represent because of how they identified. Right. Um, that was a big one, especially in this part of the country. That was a big one. Um, and then there were other things, like there are certain types of law that I just genuinely am not interested in, and I don't think I have the the ability to cope with it and so if they wanted me to do that type of work I was out and that was something I was very upfront with and you know it closed some doors but it opened others so those types of things I like that did you just come to those do those do you think uh I feel like they evolve over time like your non-negotiables they evolve mm-hmm yeah, I mean, because it's kind of, if you were, if I was to say to be married with wife and children, you know, my non-negotiables would probably change from what they are now. But right now, yeah. like, I'm a single guy, you know, if they're, hey, we want you to work weekends every once in a while, whatever. Like, sure. I don't, I, mean, I don't have anything going on. Like, it's just me. Yeah, so, it's not really a non-negotiable. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I can totally but if they're like, yeah, we need you to work like, until late and during the weeknights and all this other stuff. And I had a family and one of my non-negotiables was spending time with my family. Like that would be a non-negotiable. And if they wanted me to sacrifice that, I'd be out. But that's not where I'm at. So. Right. No, I like that a lot. <clears throat> so it's almost like you're. Uh... Have you ever read Jim Collins? I have not. He writes a he writes a really good book called Good to Great, and he calls it you like your hedgehog concept. He's a he's a business guy, but he calls the uh, the guiding principle of any business a hedge like its hedgehog concept. And if any decision is made outside of the hedgehog concept, it's irrelevant to the business decision. So, for example, if your business if your hedgehog concept is to be um, the best seller in chester's hot fries which is what i'm looking at right now and you're like well totally you know, not associated with hot cheetos just <laughs> just cheetos. like it was chester with a z hey um if you're listening though chester's or hot cheetos or fritos please sponsor, sponsor us Spon sponsor the buddy <laughs> oh, you don't even have to give us money just give us hot cheetos okay. preferably preferably and a t-shirt send me a t-shirt preferably flaming hot lime um I have like six followers, so send me a t-shirt. I'll take a picture and tag you. He's lying. He has seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that like, so the, the hedgehog concept would be like, oh, wow, we need to sell more, uh, like we need to sell more hot fries. So what we should do is we should invest in another brand. 
it's like, oh no, like that goes against the hedgehog concept. So it makes decisions really, really easy for businesses. And it sounds like that's the same thing with uh, like your non-negotiables, right? Like just, you're not going to, you're not going to work for somebody who you perceive to be against your personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't possibly have a, like a happy relationship with work if your personal beliefs are constantly being pushed against. Yeah. I mean, at what point though, do you think there's a certain point in which you go, like, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like to, uh, to, uh, to suffer for, you know, two, three, four, maybe five years. Mm, do you think there's a, do you think there's a point like because i i know people who are doing that i mean and, and i know they're going to retire at like 35 I think, <laughs> I think everybody's different okay that's that's fair. And, yeah you can't cast a you can't cast an umbrella i think everybody's different and i i am blessed enough to say that you know i the huge starting salary whatever was never a huge draw was never a draw for me i like you you see my apartment man i don't need i was listening his apartment is so nice he lives on the seventh floor of a downtown apartment with a pool private pool and four bedrooms so i have a pool in my apartment (laughs) But, you know, like we've talked about it and it's like, I, yeah. I don't need. Yeah. And that's not, that's not my personality either. You know, like it'd be nice. It'd always be nice, but I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but like sometimes people are shocked at the money I took. Yeah, I don't and, doubt it. And they are like, well, how are you going to live off of that? Like, what do you mean? This is more than I could ever dream of. But it's just, yeah. it's just different, different personalities. And that, and so maybe, but for me personally, probably not, you know. Yeah, that's fair. I can always make the money some other way. What did, what did you call them the other week? Golden handcuffs? Yeah, the golden handcuffs. Yeah, golden handcuffs. And that's an interesting, uh, like, like phrase. Yeah. Cause so, because your theory fine, is like you're fine off, right? Like you're yeah. really well off, but your life is not yours. Yeah. So they call them the golden handcuffs because everybody graduates and has pretty expensive student loans that they have to pay off, and so they will take these jobs that pay crazy good salaries with the intention of, you know, I'm going to work it for three years, live low means and just pay off all of my student debt. And then I'm going to go and do something that I truly love afterwards. But the money just keeps getting better. You adjust to the lifestyle and then it gets to the point where you're like, I don't know how I could take a pay cut. I don't know how I could live off of not what I'm living on now. And so then you're stuck. Right. In golden handcuffs. Mm. Because you're getting paid a lot of money to do something you may or may not actually enjoy doing. Because you don't know how to not live that way. When in actuality, like we were all in school and living off of, zero dollars for three years so we could all do it but it's uh it's almost like how did you how did your living expenses become that much exactly it's That's, just it just goes back to lifestyle changes yeah it does <laughs> so, so if you just live the way you did because you know you can mm-hmm. with the occasional like splurge you know like, yeah Hey, go to Las Priestess every now and then because you can. <laughs> like, yeah. But but don't like live in a live in a seven story high rise like David. Yeah. Don't buy a Bugatti or two of them, you know, like, just like David just did. I did. I actually have a, a green one and a pink one for Cosmo and Wanda. 
Yep, they were custom made just for Dave. Did you tell him about the Lamborghini or no? No, that's actually a gift. Oh, for me? Yeah. No, for it's me? for the some like crazy Saudi prince that's coming to visit me in a few oh, weeks. Sick. Are you guys going to swim in your rooftop pool? Um, yes, we are, but it will be filled with pudding, gold water <laughs> that is imported. Pudding. Dude, honestly, like, can you imagine a uh, a pool filled with pudding? Like the chocolate, what, what, what were they called? The snack packs? Pudding cups. Pudding cups. They were called snack packs, though, no? Maybe. I just It's just a pudding cup, though, right? I think it was, but, like, can you imagine a pool filled with pudding cups? Dude, yes. Did I tell you about the time we made a, we turned my truck into Kool-Aid? <laughs> I think you did actually <laughs> you line did you line it you lined it with a tarp right and you filled yeah. it with water and a bunch of kool-aid yeah so <laughs> so in high school one it's time, the most west texas thing i've ever heard um so i drove when I, I got a little my first my first truck was a little ford ranger it was an my o1 ford ranger truck the Jolly Rancher, baby. Um, the Jolly Rancher, dude. Jolly R.I.P. 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 Real sad. She's gone. If I could ever, you can. I would buy another one. You could. I would buy another 2001 Jolly Rancher. Do it. I'm gonna have to go back to that town because I I think I could find the guy that bought it. Talk to him. I bet he's destroyed it. But um, that's beside the point. So in high school, um. I'm going to try to keep my hick out of this, but uh, my parents went out of town and I called some friends up and I'm like, you know, it'd be really funny is if we told people I was having a pool party, I don't have a pool, but we could turn the back of my pickup truck into a pool. And I just would pull it up onto the front yard. People would come by. It would be ha ha funny with like me and a couple other friends and we'd wave at them and like nobody would stop by. Well, uh, so me and my buddy do this. We get the tarp, we fill it up with water. We park it in my front yard and a um, good friend of mine, she comes by with a couple of her friends and they're like, you know what we should do? We should turn this into Kool-Aid. Like if you bring the Kool-Aid, let's do it. So she runs to the store, gets a bunch of the Kool-Aid packets, feels like, the the truck with kool-aid packets we mix it all up and it turns it red but it turns out you need because if you fill a truck bed up completely with water and that's a lot of water you need a lot more kool-aid than what we bought so it still tasted like water because i did drink it but um y'all wait sorry sorry sorry. i had to try it sorry 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 i had to try you you and multiple other people were laying or yes. had your feet in this truck? No, a hundred percent, just full bodies. And it. you, <laughs> and I tasted it. Of course, you had to taste it. What? And so, what? <laughs> what? What? What party you went? Oh, this is such a good idea. All of it, everybody. I still think it's a good idea. <laughs> I think it's one of the greatest ideas I've ever had. Every part of my West Texas body went. Mm. <laughs> and so we turned we turned it into Kool-Aid. It's hot outside. And at, so <laughs> when they went to go get the Kool-Aid, I started prepping chicken to grill. And like I had teriyaki chicken sitting in the kitchen. Um then I cooked uh some teriyaki chicken and just like grilled some vegetables and I think grilled some pineapple and made like a Hawaiian chicken thing. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting eating, and my neighbor called my parents and said, I just want you to know that your son is hosting a barbecue in your front yard, and he has turned his truck into a pool and parked it on your grass. And my dad called and was like, hey, I just want you to know that you need to put that truck off the grass. And it was just real funny to, like, get caught throwing a party quote unquote because it wasn't even really party it was just like six people i just you know people came over we cooked and hung out in the front yard listening to music whatever but to have your dad calling and be like i know you have people over 
get the truck off the grass was all he cared about. You mean the Kool-Aid? <laughs> and um, yeah, so then I had to move a truck full of Kool-Aid back onto the street. And that's how that ended. Then I ended, I think I just, my buddy went home and we hopped on Xbox. I think that's how that ended. <laughs> I bet I'm just imagining you buying, like, filling up your truck bed with water and then filling it with, like, three packets of Kool-Aid. Just three. Yeah, I think that was probably pretty close, actually. It was probably, like, two or three of the the full little jugs. That's so sad. (laughs) Turned it red, though. It looked cool. It did look really cool. I'm sure it looked really good with all y'all's, you know, bodily stuff just floating up all the sunscreen and bug spray you put on mixed with the kool-aid cherry kool-aid and water and hose water i, I appreciate you thinking we had sunscreen and bug spray on <laughs> sorry I didn't that's, nice of you. <laughs> that's nice that's nice but i mean there's worse ways oh to get God. people over to your house to have good hawaiian chicken i mean there are so Hawaiian chicken. You just, wait, you, but you said you're making teriyaki. Is teriyaki chicken Hawaiian? No, I had pineapple on the grill. So, <laughs> so I put that, it on made the it, chicken. that made it Hawaiian chicken? I think so. It's <laughs> just... <laughs> Dave, <laughs> just, just adding, well, I, we had Hawaiian chicken. What makes it Hawaiian? Pineapple? I'm Googling what, what's in Hawaiian, Hawaiian chicken right now. And it's going to say pineapple. And that's it. <laughs> how (laughs) it's not there's no way hawaiian chicken is just it's pineapple chicken it's a cross between pineapple chicken and sweet and sour chicken so pineapple with teriyaki is about as close as you can get in amarillo (laughs) hawaiian chicken it was it was david's hawaiian chicken all right i'll take i'll take that your variation on hawaiian chicken i'll take it it was good though oh dearie me all right well we're at the hour we're actually apologies to those listening we are six minutes and 43 seconds over the hour i blame david's uh kool-aid story (laughs) for taking us past the point but we are uh very excited to keep this podcast going um and very excited to add a lot to the podcast Hopefully, a couple social media accounts coming soon, and some maybe an email or two, and an email. There and will be an email. email, and we'll take topic discussion suggestions. Request. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, server requests, server requests. Yeah, suggestions and requests, same thing. Um, and a website. Hopefully yeah. soon. Hopefully soon. Uh, we apologize for missing last Friday. Um, both of us are quite busy. It was Jack's fault. It was my fault, honestly. Um, Dave, Dave's studying for one of the biggest. It's tests always Jack's life. fault. It's yeah, okay, fair enough. It is my fault. Um, but we do we do appreciate anyone who is listening right now. Um, we have since the beginning, and we just we we hope to continue to do this um, throughout the year. Um, we thank you for your support. And, you know, if you want to go ahead and leave a review, leave a review, whatever you feel, (laughs) five stars only, (laughs) whatever you feel is appropriate, go ahead and leave it. Uh, if you feel so inclined, share it with your friends. Um, but until next time, this is 12 o'clock talks. I'm Jack and this is Dave. Yes, sir. And we will see y'all next time. Adios. Five stars only. (laughs) 